the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number one fifty-five. I'm your host Dustin, and today I have with me, uh, this is Ed, and this is Ralph Gooley's daughter Stella. We are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of February fifteenth to February twenty-eighth. We have a total of four books to cover. Uh, we're switching up a little bit of our extra features at the end of the podcast after the reviews, but of course we've got comic news. So let's get into that. What have you got for me? First thing we've got is on February seventeenth. The solicits were released for May 2015. Uh, now, obviously, a lot of this stuff is still dealing with Convergence, because Convergence is also happening in May, if you weren't aware already. Um, but uh, the second issues of all of the all of the series that are coming for Convergence will be released, as well as the uh, the final four issues of the Convergence main series that's going to be basically the weekly series published during April and May. Uh, in addition to that, we also have the tie-in comics for Arkham Knight, Batman 66, and Injustice Gods Among Us. So you can check out the entire list of all of the solicitations over on the website. In addition to that, we also have the trade and graphic novel solicits. Uh, these are going for June and July. Um, a bunch of different ones kind of released. Uh, well, announcements, I should say, have released. Um, s- several of them are c- for collected versions of the current or former New 52 ongoing titles, including Batman Robin, Gotham Academy, Grayson, Red Hood and the Outlaws, and Justice League. In addition to that, there's also some that predate the New 52. Um, there's some, o- some of them include a graphic novel for Black Canary and Zatanna called Black Canary and Zatanna Bloodspell, a new trade paperback of Batman Cataclysm, including some material that has never been collected, a trade paperback of Volume 2 of Chuck Dixon's run on Nightwing. Other solicitations worth of note are a special deluxe edition of Batman Gothic from the pages of Batman Legends of the Dark Knight and a hardcover title, Legends of the Dark Knight, Norm Brayfogle, which will feature a few Batman annuals and several issues of Detective Comics, all of which feature art from Norm Brayfogle. So we have the full list of all of these, including the prices, how big they actually are, what's hardcover, what's what's paperback. Uh, be sure to check out the list over on the website. All right. So with that, that is actually all the news. I mean, solicitations, not really a whole lot of surprises. We'll have more surprises when we get the solicitations for June. But uh, that that's all really the news. Uh, just uh, one, just a couple of other small bits of news. One of the things, I don't know, there's been no confirmation on this as of right now, but as we know, the following month of March, we have a lot of the current New 52 titles ending. Some of them we already were announced way back in November that they were ending. Others were just recently announced that they were ending due to the announcement of the stuff that's happening with coming up in June. But, uh, we have, there's, there's, for those of you who weren't paying attention to the solicits for March and April, 
Um, the March solicits actually also include April 1st as basically the fifth Wednesday of March, uh, because of convergence, the timeline that they were trying to achieve with convergence and the fact that April has five Wednesdays, they included the first Wednesday of the month as the, you know, quote unquote, fifth Wednesday of March. So that's why we're seeing a lot of extra books come out in March. Uh, and the beginning of April, including a, a number of annuals as well as uh, all those endgame tie-ins. They all come out on April 1st. Now, if you were paying attention to all those, you'd also know that basically Batman 39, which we'll review in a little bit, um, that's the second-to-last issue of Endgame, Batman Endgame. And I happen to see a comment that was made by Scott Snyder on Twitter, and I don't know... Again, like I said earlier, I don't know if this is confirmed. I don't know if he was even thinking about what he was saying, but he made a comment about the fact right before 39 came out, he goes, I'm, I'm so excited for you guys to see 39. Uh, issue 40 will not have a backup. It's going to be a full story for Greg and I to finish up the Endgame story. Um, it releases the Wednesday before Free Comic Book Day, and then Free Comic Book Day, we kind of give you some hints as to what is to come in the title. The only problem is that Free Comic Book Day is actually the first Saturday of May, which means the what he was referring to would be, which would be Batman number 40, would be releasing on April 29th by the timeline that he said. Now, I don't know how that would even work, because that means that issue would be the one issue that would release that's part of, that's not part of Convergence during the move. So I don't know if he had his date wrong, I'm just putting it out there as something that I saw. I uh, didn't, even when he commented on, tw- or when he said it on Twitter, people really didn't catch on to the exact date that he was referring to, knowing that, well, we know for a fact that uh, Free Comic Book Day is not the first Saturday of April. So, just thought that was interesting, worth worth a note. So with that, that is all the news. We're going to jump straight into our books, and the very first book is Batman and Robin. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. Batman and Robin number 39. Superpower Boy Wonder. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Gray, colorist John Cleese. And if you notice, the cover is, in fact, an homage to Action Comics number one, the original as well as the reboot, I guess. Robin corrals a group of some of Batman's enemies in a darkened room and responds to their doubts by demonstrating his newfound powers, tying them up speedily, and dragging them out into the atmosphere. He carries them 30,000 feet into the troposphere to the Carmen line, which represents the difference between being an Earthling and being an astronaut. He warns them that if they cross the line between petty crime and murder of innocence, he will see to it that they cross this particular line. As he brings them back down, he loses control of the cable he is dangling them from and accidentally drops his prisoners. Fortunately, the bat plane swoops out from nowhere and catches them safely. Unfortunately, Damien's father is uh, not happy with him. Later at Alfred's urging, Bruce takes Damien out fishing and demands to know just what he thought he was doing. Making a point in that way could, of course, cost lives. 
Damien admits that he experienced a hiccup in his powers, but Bruce worries that it was something more. He supposes that the apocalyptian chaos sliver that Talia used to power the embryonic chambers on her island must have provided energy that Damien absorbed over the years and remained dormant until Bruce stabbed him with that sliver and, of course, resurrected him. He worries about the visions that he saw when he touched the sliver himself, the ones that showed him exactly how to revive his son. In any case, though, the wish he had to have his son back was granted by that sliver of chaos. Damien says he would like to go home, and Bruce tells him that, well, Alfred uh, told us that we cannot come back until we have at least one fish. Amused, Damien tosses his fishing pole into the water and skewers a fish before carrying the boat back to Wayne Manor. And uh, Alfred, of course, is unimpressed. He thought they'd be out there longer. Afterwards, Bruce returns to testing the limits of his son's abilities, worrying at how erratic the boy's control has been, and Dustin making a Spider-Man reference. Did you see it? Did you did did you read it? Did you get it? Come on, he says. You know, with great power comes, and then David cuts him off. You're right. I I did catch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. But see, the thing is, when I look at that, I don't think of. Spider-Man Marvel <laughs> comics. I think of Spider-Man the Sony movie. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Well, well, I guess now we know that Spider-Man and Batman are practically, you know, related. Uh, so no. from the <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> oh dear. From blasphemy test- viewers. She's she's saying oh blasphemy. Viewers, are we doing a video call? Listeners, listeners, blasphemy. I'll I'll fix it. It doesn't matter. It's still okay. blasphemy. Okay. Uh, so anyways, from these tests, he and Alfred discover with some consternation that part of what makes Damien so invincible is that he only feels invincible. His nervous system is actually not responding to uh, the physical pain, but it is receiving it. Uh, and that means that Damien might believe he can behave more recklessly than his body can actually handle. So... More answers I think we're getting as we go along. So several nights later on patrol, Batman warns Damien that he shouldn't put all of his trust in his powers. They can and will betray him. And he needs to depend on his natural instincts and training. But despite coming back from death, Damien needs to uh, learn that dying in the first place was proof that he's not invincible and death can't be beaten, only cheated. But Damien, as any child would, uh, ignores him, leaps out of the car, and goes to town on a gang trying to steal military prototypes. Uh, frustrated, Batman confronts him and warns him that not being able to feel anything is not a good thing. But he's interrupted by his fatherly talk uh, by a call indicating that his presence is required on the Justice League satellite. And he insists that Damien remain behind to turn in the crooks and go home in the car while he's away. And uh, this was, I thought, a pretty funny part. So he dumps the thugs on the roof of the GCPD. And he hears more thugs in the alley below and grabs the bat signal up over his head, warning that if he catches them threatening innocence again, he'll see that their night ends very painfully. And uh, that's that could also be a throwback to Spider-Man because sometimes Spider-Man has that little belt that shines a light, shines a little spider symbol on there. So maybe that's a little reference there, too. I'm, so, I'm starting to think to myself that <laughs> all those listeners who were making comments about oh, how gosh. you were cussing and swearing and having a potty mouth, they're actually just referring to you talking about Spider-Man. That actually so, makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it does. So swearing is a euphemism for Spider-Man. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Spider-Man and Marvel references. That's most okay. of it. 
Okay. Uh, so what's funny though is that Batman reappears and he tells him to put the light back and to come with him to the satellite. So Batman knew leaving him alone was not a good idea. So he came back. So then finally they're on the satellite. Bruce warns Damien not to break anything and he reintroduces him to Superman and Damien's unimpressed with that. And then he leaves him to, to meet up with Shazam and he's also unimpressed with Shazam. And then Damien is, uh, when Damien is with Billy, uh, Batman receives a briefing on a creature attacking cargo ships off the coast of Japan. And Damien doesn't want to say what should Sam. So he decides to add some helpful information that the island on which the creature is located is empty thanks to the shuttering of the coal mines there. And it's been nicknamed Ghost Island. But despite its emptiness, it's only 10 miles from Nagasaki, which has a relatively high population. And Superman says that Damien's probably meant to uh, observe from the satellite, but then Batman goes against Superman and says that he actually intends to bring Damien on the mission. And grinning, he his son leads the way. Uh, and next up, Super Friends! Exclamation point. So, in the beginning, we saw that Damien's powers seemed to flicker off for a moment because... You know, he lost control of, of that cable and then it seemed like he was struggling and then it, it slipped through and, and that could have been dangerous, not only for him, but also for the villains, of course. And Batman even says, you know, he could have killed them all. Do you think that this is foreshadowing? Uh, that's something, you know, his powers are probably going to, I think perhaps we've talked about this, that his powers are in fact temporary, but if if they go out in the event that they leave him all together, do you think something tragic is going to happen? Uh, he'll be in the middle of doing something. Well, it, I mean, that would be the worst case scenario. I think I, I I would hope that I'm I mean, my hope is that his powers do eventually go away. I think it it produces a unique dynamic for some storytelling. We know for a fact that obviously there's only one more issue that they're going to be telling the story in because. Batman Robin's ending now. Patrick Gleason's taking over for the mm-hmm. Robin Damien series, and maybe he he'll continue it in some way. But we don't even know if he'll still have the powers after next month. We have no idea. So, do I? I don't want anything horrible to happen where he has you know a tank over his head and suddenly his powers <laughs> oh, go out gosh. and the tank smushes him. I mean that'd be pretty pretty bad way to end. <laughs> yeah. Mean, uh, just like oh yeah, I, I'm holding this tank and then squash and then you see his like. Pixie boots sticking out from under oh, no. the, the thing, like mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz. That'd be horrible. But that being said, I mean, like, I, I'm sure his powers are. I guess the thing that I got caught up on when they were talking about his powers in general was the fact that, you know, he can't feel pain. You know, his nervous system isn't registering that he's actually, he actually is in pain. And I guess that was the thing that I was looking at and thinking to myself, this doesn't really connect well because if he is experiencing pain, he is being harmed in some way. Mm-hmm. So how can he still be invincible? I mean, like they explained it in a way where they basically said, you know, it's just not the, you know, his nervous system isn't sending the right signals to his brain to make him understand that he is feeling pain. But if he's invincible and like the bullets are hitting him and things like that, how could he even be experiencing pain if he's invincible? That was the part that I guess I got hung up on. Yeah, and I, I guess too, like if it was causing any major damage, he'd be dead, right? Right. I mean, I mean, I mean that's it, what we would assume. Yeah, I mean, if so, I guess that he's and, and this is something else. I think there's another uh, line in the issue too where he says he can't feel anything, and, and Bruce talks about it's a bad thing. Um, I'm not sure 
I, I think with with the power outages that we've seen, I, I think that Stella is probably right. They're they're probably setting us up for they're going into this um Justice League issue, which is the last issue of Batman and Robin. And I think probably his powers will go out. I, I just don't I don't see how you can have a superpower Damien as part of the, of the everyday Batman universe. You know, I just it doesn't having an everyday superpowered character I don't think works. Now that being said, we do know for a fact that he is you know, be having going to his own title. Um, so maybe he's going to be completely divorced, uh, from the rest of the universe, but there's going to be a lot to see in next, next month's issue. Um, and in like normal, the, the Batman and Robin issue that it, it should have a lot of stuff moving forward is almost being completely ignored from any press or anything else, which I think is sad. I, I feel like something is going to happen. I was actually shocked to see this like slip when that happened. And, and I, I read those panels a couple of times to see if it was just a mistake, a, a human error on his part, but it really did seem like since it caught him in mid speech that, that something turned off and, and even Batman was, was attesting to that fact as well. And I think that just the fact that Batman brought up and pointed to uh, that this could have been, you know, the deaths of all of those villains there and it could have been really bad. I feel like something is going to happen that he'll be in the middle of, of fighting, uh, for somebody or trying to protect somebody and maybe that person gets it or, or he's severely injured. Uh, in regards to, yeah, that comment about, you know, he's, he can't feel pain. I think to a certain extent, he's got to be invincible because I mean, there are all those bullets flying at him right, and he exactly. would still, yeah, he would still have bullet holes, but they seem to be bouncing off him. But I guess in terms I mean, maybe it's something with uh, how he's using his body, just with the, uh, it seems like he, he doesn't have any fatigue and, and his stamina and things like that. And I do think of, and I don't know the name of the disease, but just, you know, the people that cannot feel pain. Um, and usually they, they uh, their joints are worn down so much, they usually die of, um, I think it's usually bad circulation or something like that, just because... I mean, you can stand for as long as you want and not feel pain, but, you know, your joints are getting worn down. So something's probably going on, on you know, internally and getting worn down that that isn't necessarily registering with his brain. But he's got to be invincible on, on some on some scale there. Uh, my second one is, you know, we were talking about Superman and that he would be the perfect mentor. And it's funny, our hopes were dashed, I think, that he was unimpressed with him there. And we did see some apocalypse. Uh, before, but do you think bringing him to the Justice League and all of this, have we gotten to too big of a story? Uh, too big of a story that started off as just being a Batman and Son story? In some ways, I think yes, but when we look at just the last couple of years, ever since Damien died in the first place, it 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 really just kind of ballooned from Damien dying to being a giant story to begin with. The fact that, you know, we went every other issue after Damien died of Batman teaming with a member of the Bat family, then eventually teaming up with a random member from the Justice League, and then basically all of the Justice League right before they went to Apocalypse to Apocalypse and having that massive thing. I mean, the story did get really, really ginormous. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no mm -hmm. question about it. Um, doing it the way they're doing, though, I'm kind of questioning how exactly this is going to end. Uh, knowing that we only have one more issue left in the story or in the, in the series before the series is over, I can't figure out how they're going to, you know, wrap this up in some way. 
Um, I have some continuity issues regarding this, which we've talked about before. I'm going to save them for when I talk about Batman 40 or uh, Batman Eternal 46. But there's, it just feels like there's a lot that they would need to do. Like if Damien's going to lose his powers, we know he's not going to die because there's still going to be a Damien book come June. So it's not like one issue later he dies. I mean, that would be pretty crappy. We, we waited six months for him to come back. He comes back, and then he's only back for three months before he gets killed. But at the same time, I feel like something has to happen where he either has to lose his powers or something. And the fact that and I was really looking forward to that idea of, like, Damien kind of being mentored by Superman for a short amount of time. I mean, I guess all of that could still potentially happen in Robin's own book, you know, Damien having his own book in June, but it doesn't really feel like we're beginning any sort of conclusion with Batman and Robin, which I think I'm kind of disappointed by. I kind of like this in a way, though, to be honest, because we, and Dustin makes the point, so we make the same point in a way, but I think I just looked at it a little differently, was we did have Shazam and the rest of these guys kind of in the, the Robin Returns storyline, so I don't mind circling back to it. This book's really felt like a team-up book since since Damien died. So I think that this is kind of the natural place to have it. I do think what we could see here, and this is maybe hope more than any empirical evidence, is that I really think it'd be a, a super cool thing to have Damien and Shazam. Kind, I mean, Shazam has superpowers, and he's close to Damien's age. Um, and if they're both superpowered, that could become a very interesting um, friendship with, with two kids who are basically two kid superheroes. Um, I kind of... I kind of hope that that's where we end up going. Maybe at the end, he decides to go off with Shazam for a while and Batman trusts them and they're going to do their thing. But I, I like the hope that, that those two being together, uh, as a friend for Damien and something like that, I think that that could be a, be a cool way to go. I guess it just really hit me. I guess I should have thought about it earlier, you know, when we're on Apocalypse now. But since we are wrapping up, I guess I just really wanted to get back to, basics and where we started off with which was just you know a batman and son batman and robin story and i'm hoping you know that this whole thing serves a purpose this mission that they're going off to to fight this and perhaps it's just a lesson that you know batman is showing his son that these are heroes and and this is how they use their individual powers but i I guess i I feel like the family has got it gotten a little too crowded for my tastes and it it started just with you know dick and damien uh with grant morrison's run and then new 52 of course we had bruce and damien father and son and i wanted to go back to that before this run is over and, you know, we move on to, to what else is next. So uh, not to say that it's a bad thing. I just, you know, I, I think it'd be nice to end where we began. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Like it would be good to, because re- realistically we didn't really get that many stories with Damien and Bruce. I yeah. Mean, because when the new 52 started, it was kind of like, well, we're putting these two characters together because we had the series beforehand, but we're going to see these two characters working together and kind of developing their relationship. And Tomasi did a great job. I'm not going to deny that, but we didn't really see it for that long before Damien died. I think it was like a year and a half of stories before Damien was killed and we had to see the repercussions of that. So, I mean, like, it just, in some ways, you're right. It would be nice to see more of, you know... Kind of like what, you know, the, the fishing moment that we saw in this, like that kind of stuff just between the two of them 
or just the two of them working without having to have all the, you know, extra stuff that just happens to be around because of the story they're telling. So I understand what you're saying. I guess in some ways it just depends because it's all in some ways kind of, you got to kind of figure out what is going to actually happen. We know that there's only one more issue of the series. We know that Patrick Gleason is going to in some way be carrying over the story when he does the Robin story that's coming out in June. We don't know how it's going to wrap up. You know, for all we know, maybe the Robin series is going to be focusing on Robin, you know, Robin, but with Robin's perspective of everything instead of just focusing on the two of them. So we see how he reacts to everything that's going on instead of seeing the, you know, the overall joint relationship as we see in the book now. So we have no idea. I mean, it's one of those things that kind of sucks knowing what's coming up in the coming months because Mm -hmm. you don't, you you know that something has to happen, but you don't know what it's going to be. And knowing that this series only has one more issue, it feels like there's no way it's going to end very smoothly. Yeah. And I guess a lot of it kind of dovetailing to what you said, it really depends what Gleason does with Damien, son of Batman. You know, I mean, I would like to hope this isn't the end of Bruce and Damien's stories. And I guess the other real issue is there isn't any reason Damien couldn't appear in Detective or Batman. I mean, he doesn't seem to ever do it, but maybe we'll see him some more there, too, because I would like to see some more father and son stories as well. But I don't know. Maybe they'll just start including him in the regular titles, which would be probably the most logical thing that won't happen. All right. So Batman Robin number 39, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. Three out of five. I'm also going to give it 3.5 out of 5. And over on the website, Ryan gave it 3.5, so that's going to give Batman and Robin number 39 a total of 3.5 out of 5 Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Batman number 39. You know, Bats, we've been doing this little runaround of ours for years. It's been loads of laughs, but the sad fact is none of us are getting any younger. Batman number 39, Endgame Part 5. Writer Scott Snyder, artist Greg Pulo. We pick up uh, right where we left off with last issue with Batman confronting the uh, Court of Owls. But they do admit that they use a corrupted, non-pure version of the chemical in uh, in Joker's spine slash blood, but that they mined it out of the ground. They didn't get it from him. Um, they really, at this point, refuse to give up any more useful information and uh, just kind of do the basic taunting thing. You know, they just kind of taunt him for a while, and mm-hmm. he just decides to leave, you know. Um, and, and Batman just leaves. And on the way out, he's confronted by one of the earliest towns, a couple hundred years old. And as they fight, Batman demands to know if Joker was around the past when the town was active, but he doesn't give him any, any answers either. Uh, we then skip forward four hours and see Batman fighting a crowd of, like, Jokerized citizens in a cloud of smoke. Then we go back three hours in time, and we see Batman coming out of the sewers, directly following his confrontation uh, with the Court of Owls. Uh, Julia tells him that something awful is happening, and we see that the Joker uh, has indeed swum to the Batcave, as Stella predicted last last time we talked about this. And Alfred confronts him there, and uh, the Joker cuts his arm off. Um, we just see that Julia was he got to Julia in time, and he's in stable condition. Um, but Julian tells uh, Batman that the Joker all he took was trophies and mementos. Uh, no weapons or vehicles or anything like that. Uh, a feed starts broadcasting, and we see the Joker is throwing a parade, showing off all the stolen items from the Bat Cave, including the T-Rex and the giant Joker card that we're all used to seeing. Um, Joker is, is uh, taunting Batman to come get the chemical out of his spine, uh, which he knows they can use to, to cure the city from Jokerization. 
back to the fight scene of smoke, and, and it kind of pans out this time, and we see that Batman is is not alone in the smoke, and that Batgirl, Bluebird, Red Hood, and Red Robin are all fighting with him. And then we go back in time an hour, and we see the group of heroes at uh, Ace Chemicals shining an upside-down bat signal into the sky, which we are told that is the the um, the agreed-upon signal that the that the uh, the villains of Gotham will put up when they have uh, they've killed Batman, and that they'll all gather at Ace Chemicals to uh, celebrate him after he's dead. Uh, so Bane, Penguin, Mister Freeze, Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, Clayface, and Killer Croc all answer the call. Um, Batman tells them that they must all work together, and that if they don't, they will lose Joker, they will lose Gotham to the Joker for all time. We then cut back to the fight scene in the smoke one last time, and we pan out again. Uh, we see the Joker watching the fight, and we see that the villains are in fact fighting with the uh, the heroes as they try to get to Joker so they can get the antidote. Uh, Joker says that he, this is now time for his final trick. Uh, next up, and will be the end game conclusion, in game part six, and then uh, the backup. Um, this is the, fi- the finale of the backup, and what we basically find out here is that the Joker has made up all the backstories. We see that the main character, Doctor Zahir, actually has a book that's about to publish in a week, where she thinks that she's uncovered the truth about the Joker, and we find out that, of course, her research partner was none other than Eric Border. And then it's just another story that the Joker made up. Two big points in this this one. Um, the first one is, you know, Alfred gets his arm cut off by the Joker. Um, do we think that, and I don't see any way around this, but do we think this will be a permanent disability? And do we think that this is uh, a continuing to show that Alfred's role is going to keep being diminished in favor of Julia as kind of like that second command person. I don't know. I mean, it was funny because I was reading an article online. It was talking about, you know, does Scott Snyder just not hate like, Alfred? <laughs> hate Alfred? Yeah. Does he just hate Alfred? Because, you know, it wasn't in death of the family. We had Al- uh, Joker terrorizing uh, Alfred. We had Al- for Alfred Jokerized in, in the issue. Now we have his, his hand has been chopped off. Now, do I feel like his hand, you know, Obviously, Bruce Wayne has money. Well, we don't know how much money, given when this is taking place, and if he got his money back at the end of Eternal. But I would assume he has at least some sort of money somewhere where he could get a robotic, you know, prosthetic or do some sort of surgery to get his arm put back on. The fact that it was, you know, a clean cut with a meat cleaver leads me to believe that, I mean, it could be reattached if they wanted to. Um, I guess the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was the fact that when when they find out, when Batman finds out that the Joker got Alfred, Julia's response is, don't worry, he crawled to the armory, he's safe. He's good. But they don't really talk about the fact that his hand got chopped, chopped off. off. She does say really, that he's stable. Right, but like, they, like before that, yeah, <laughs> before that, it was like, well, where was the Joker swimming to in the last issue? Well, now we know, he was swimming to the Batcave. Okay, great. Now he's in the Batcave. Why is Alfred in the Batcave? They're not even operating out of the Batcave anymore. They're operating out of this owl's nest. Why is he there? Especially if Arkham Manor is still above, what is he doing in the Batcave? Like, especially since earlier in the in the Endgame, they had him in the owl's nest with Julia. So I don't understand why he's in the Batcave with a shotgun, and he just happens to know that the Joker's swimming in to, you know, do it. I mean, I'm sure there's alarms and things like that, but, like, it just seemed like a weird setup. I, that aside... Do I feel like they're they're moving more towards Julia and getting away from Alfred? 
Yeah, I mean, it's felt like that for a while. I mean, that's been happening more in Batman Eternal than anything else, where his role in Eternal is less and less and less, and mm -hmm. they kind of just, Julius just kind of chalks it up to, well, you were doused with that fear stuff, we don't know how long you're going to really be dealing with it, so just go to bed. I mean, it literally happens in issue 47. She tells him to go to bed because he doesn't belong in the chair, that's her chair. So, I mean, like, <laughs> Which is odd because she was so hell-bent on the fact that she didn't want to be part of this. But now, as she, the more she does, the more she wants to be involved. So, I mean, it has, it, it's basically like a two-edged, two-edged two sword. But in some ways, I feel like we've been moving to this for a while. Now it's just kind of cementing it. Remember when the New 52 began and we thought, and the only images of Alfred was a holographic image. And we all wondered if this was going to be it because, you know, they did it with Jarvis and the Iron Man films. And we thought, oh, is this, you know, what a travesty. Because there's something very special about this relationship between Bruce Wayne slash Batman and Alfred. And, you know... It even goes to the Gotham television series where, out, spoiler, Alfred's, you know, in critical condition. Let's hope he doesn't die. That'd be bizarre. Uh, but, you know, Bruce Wayne and Tears says he, he's all I have left. And that is very true. So even if there are other team members, you know, surrounding him, I feel like no one can really replace Alfred, even if her name is, in fact, Pennyworth. Um, I was pretty shocked to see his hand uh, cut off. It's not really his arm. Um, it, it was his hand. Yeah, so it's literally I, just wrist down. Yeah. yeah, so I feel like it's possible, certainly, to fix that. Um, obviously, it won't make him as good as new, but, you know, prostheses are, are wonderful, and, of course, we do have Bruce Wayne, so... I'm sure there are Luke Skywalker-esque technologies we could put on his 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 arm there. But I, I think it's just very symbolic that he is very broken right now because, yeah, Dustin, I was thinking about, you know, as I was reading this, about uh, Eternal and the fact that the, the fear toxin was injected right into his temple. I didn't even know. I guess I... Maybe I've been asleep for a little bit, but uh, I thought maybe he should be down for the count a little longer than he was. So to see him up and at him was, was a little strange. And then you've got this. So he's certainly not the capable Alfred uh, of the Royal Air Force that we've seen in the past. And perhaps this is forcibly pushing him, you know, out of the this mission uh, coordinator role that he's been in. But again, if we're doing that, which it does seem like that, that I guess is going to happen. What does his, what is his new role? Is he just going to be cleaning the cave or wherever they are? And number two, you know, is there, does this sort of go along the lines with the Damien Snyder uh, business where he can't really write Damien? So there probably won't really be a relationship between those two. Is there not going to be a relationship between Alfred and Bruce? Do we just end it here? Or does he kill him off completely? So well, that's the question. I mean, like, basically, we're getting to the point where, like, what is the point of even having Alfred around other than mm -hmm. Ragdoll that everyone can just Ugh. mess with? Yeah, it's very unfortunate. No, I, I think that that's where we're going. I, I don't think he'll kill him. I don't think they'd let him kill him. But I could see, you know, some convoluted, uh, hey, we're Alfred after you got your hand cut off and it got sewed back on slash Skywalker, as, as uh, Stella put it, you know. Mm -hmm. 
we're going to send you off on a, on a trip around the world. <laughs> you know, oh boy, go enjoy your six months off. Um, that's one of the things I was kind of struck with, not just in this title, but I'm sure we'll get through on Eternals. Like this, this has been the month of Alfred being kind of useless, except in Batman and Robin. I mean, I guess you could, like you said, you could, you could put his hand back on, but it, that would kind of defeat the, I don't know, the gravitas of the scene to cut his hand off just to sew it back on and everything goes back to normal. It would be a, well, why'd you bother cutting it off? You know, you could just hit him over the head with a billy club or something. I think that you guys are right, and I'm not sure 100% how I feel about it, that they're just moving away from Alfred. Um, I think that, I mean, Julia, think about it. Julia is a major character in both Eternal and, and Batman right now. It, you know, it could be in the, after June, I, and I, we keep hearing this change in the status quo. That's something we keep hearing if you read Snyder's, you know, interviews or even other people in the Bat Office's interviews. We keep hearing that after Convergence, there'll be a change in the status quo in Batman. And I think what they could be referring to is, is Alfred being, being shipped out there. Um, which would be very strange. Uh, but I do think that's where, where we're going with there. Um, and I guess the other thing that really, the other big thing in the issue here is we see the villains all, well, two things. One, they decide they, this, this, all these villains that all kind of hate each other have a secret system for when Batman is dead, they're all going to get together and have a party at Ace Chemicals. Just your thoughts on that. And then, do you think that there's any way that they would have went along with helping Batman defeat Joker? You know, the I think in some ways the villains would go along with helping Batman, specifically just because it's kind of like the way Batman puts it. If Joker basically ruins Gotham. What do they? What do they really have to take over? But the problem is, again, given the time that this is happening, we're seeing these almost the same group of villains mm-hmm. in the pages of Batman Eternal yep. basically terrorize Gotham destroy Gotham to be whatever they want, you know, just, you know, bring it down to the ground because that's what they are. They're villains and they don't care. So, like, in some ways it makes sense that if you just look at Batman and you're not paying attention to anything else, if you just look at Batman, it makes sense that they would not want the Joker to be basically ruling the entire city. I feel like they would also betray Batman towards the end and that would be something that would obviously be significant towards the end. I feel like Someone amongst them would want to, you know, once the Joker's taken out, make a move. And oh, I don't yeah. know that there's a plan for that because it doesn't really seem like Batman is really full of plans here. Um, which seemingly in the last, just this month and last month's worth of issues, it feels like Batman just is completely, I don't know if it's just because they're trying to write him as he's just completely out of it because he's been worked so hard with everything with Eternal and Endgame. He's just, he's just going nuts. But it just feels like he's not on the same level that he should be when it comes to like thinking about certain things and connecting dots and things like that. But that aside, um, specifically dealing with the villains, I feel like the villains would do it, but they would end up betraying Batman in some way at the end. I don't know that we're going to see that all in one issue. I doubt it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll just leave it at that. I feel like it just, if you look at it also from the perspective of, these are the same villains who Batman had to basically disarm because they had all these gadgets of his in the pages of Batman Eternal. I don't know that he would want to team up with them, but I guess you're, you're supposed to look at it as if it's two completely different stories, even though Scott Snyder's name's the, the top name on each book. Yeah, and I almost wonder if they would really want to as well because, I mean, they were just humiliated in that... uh and, you know, in the pages of Eternal and everything and, and just seeing that, hey, it's the same group of people there. 
I don't know. Uh, it seems pretty interesting. Um, I mean, do they have such hatred towards Joker? You know, I just try to think about what their motivations would be to work with Batman and take down Joker. Um, is it just the fact that, you know, this is their shared territory and no one person can be in charge of it all? Uh, it also sort of goes back to when we were doing, uh, it wasn't called Arkham War. What was it called? That stuff we were doing just last year. Oh, the Forever Evil stuff. Yeah, yeah the Forever, yeah, right? Yeah, it was Arkham, Arkham War. War. Yeah, oh, it was Arkham. Okay, yeah, where things were broken up, and I just think, you know, would these people conceivably want to work together, and why get rid of the Joker? Why not potentially work with the Joker? Um, but maybe Joker is just a one-man kind of... Uh, mission right now and he's he's done working with people it's certainly an intriguing idea i think you know i think it would have been actually pretty cool to see the court of owls behind well the talons behind batman and uh you know i just thought what an anticlimactic scene because we end the previous issue with you know the court and then basically i i felt like snyder was just answering the question well what about the court and so there it is there's the court but nothing's going with them i think that would have been a a different and more intriguing idea to have the talons work with batman and get rid of the joker that you know i think they have their own motivations and i think that those motivations would have made better sense than potentially these villains it's great to see a team up like this but perhaps you know, it's just a well-trodden path. I don't, unless they play some immediate role in the conclusion, I don't even, I, I don't I don't think we really need them here. I mean, I, I guess there's the art, well, they would save the city because of Gotham, but I don't know. And let's face it, too, this group of people, like some of them, Penguin and Scarecrow, aren't necessarily known for their amazing hand-to-hand combat skills either. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I get why Croc is helpful or Clayface, but, you know, if you're in a fist fight, you really want Scarecrow? You know, I, I mean, so I, I don't, I really don't understand. Well, I guess what happens when you have somebody who's been jokerized, who gets then sprayed by Scarecrow's gas? What happens to that person? They end up locked up in Arkham and Stark raving mad. Yeah, forever. Uh, forever, yeah. I don't know I mean, if there's a way to come back from that. Yeah, I mean, so I was a little confused, like, and if you look in one panel, you kind of see, it looks like Penguin is shooting people with a gun. Even if Batman's recruiting villains, I don't think he's cool to have Penguin with a 12-gauge shooting jokerized citizens. You know. Well, well, he's okay with Harper Row shooting people I with whatever gun, or at least having a gun. But, but at least at Harper's argument, you can say it's he's okay with electric guns. I know that's a bad argument, but but I mean, I don't think Penguin's using a uh, disarming electric gun. I mean, I think he's just blasting people. Um, so I'm a little confused by this. I don't really think it works well. I kind of got the feeling in this issue that. What we were doing was just this whole issue was a giant tease of next issue. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just just kicking the can down the road to next issue. I don't feel like we moved the story. And the rest of this story arc, we've got definitive moving ahead points. I mean, you know, Alfred gets his hand cut off here. That's unfortunate, but I don't feel like the plot really took a, a big step forward. I mean, especially with at the end of last issue, we had the big court of owls. He finally gets the court of owls, and I fortunately, I even made Stella laugh in my wrap-up because all they essentially do is taunt him for five minutes, mm-hmm. you know? Like, oh, it just seemed like Monty Python the Holy Grail, you know? Like, I don't know. So I just, I don't know. To me, it just seemed like this, that whole plan seems kind of bonkers. I, I will say that the one redeeming part of it was when, when Jason Todd did, when he, when the little comment that Todd has when he goes, oh, I really like this plan, when he basically says we're going to use the villains as cannon fodder. 
Um, but I don't know why this would be a particularly effective except for a few of them like Croc and something like that. So that part kind of, uh, kind of lost the beat. All right. So Batman number 39, I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five batterings. I am going to give it three and a half out of five just as my previous concerns. And I'm going to give it a four out of five. All right. And over on the website, Ryan gave it four out of five. So that's going to give Batman number 39 a total of Four out of five batteries. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal, number 46. Script by Tim Seeley. Art by more people than I will ever list off. The issue starts off with Poison Ivy (laughs) in her greenhouse talking about how she is basically plotting something. I'm sure she's not the big bad. But anyway, we cut to Batman and uh he's he's b- battling a bunch of ninjas slash the League of Assassins, and he's screaming for Razel Ghoul saying, "Where are you? Where are you?" Um, nearby in the control room, we see Doctor Dark, who has not been referenced in quite some time. Um, he is kind of communicating with Razel Ghoul about what's what Batman's doing, and Razel Ghoul says, "Prepare to time travel." Uh, we then see at Blackgate Penitentiary, Selina going to visit her father. Uh, he wants, she wants to know who let the, uh, all the gadgets that the villains just got their hands on. She wants to know if he's behind it. He says, no, I'm not behind it, but I can find out why I wouldn't want you to fail. I want the city to work too, and it only will if we're working together. She leaves back at the back cave. Julia Pennyworth seems to be taking what appears to be a, a shower. I don't know what exactly it is underneath a waterfall in the Batcave, which I thought was weird, and she hung up a sheet around Hush's containment cell so that he couldn't see her taking a shower in her clothes. But whatever. Um, we then see them trading blows. We see her talking to Alfred as he appears to be knocked out um, on his pillow. She makes references again to the fear toxin when the back computer makes an alarm. Um, she gets a hold of Batman and says, your, your your vitals are off the charts, what's going on? When we cut to Batman, we see smoke and meters and lights, all kinds of stuff happening, and the communications go down. Uh, then Batman all of a sudden hears over, I guess, a loudspeaker or intercom say, we are in the future. We are in your future. And we see all these different variations of what could happen with Batman in the future. We see Dick Grayson as Batman. We see Batman Beyond. We see Damien as Batman. Um, we see a bunch of other variations of Batman, whether they be members of the uh, Batman Incorporated or just other versions. Um, we, we realize it's not time travel at all. It's all tricks and illusions created by Dr. Dark. Uh, Batman takes Dr. Dark out when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Lord Deathman shows up and says... Uh, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm here for Dr. Dark. Um, after a very brief fight between the two of them, Batman leaves and we see one last uh, hallucination slash illusion of Gotham up in flames. Um, Batman then approaches a room where when he goes inside, he says to Roz, I know you're behind all of this. Roz says, nope, not behind anything. Um, yes, I may have bought your holdings and things like that, but... I would never do what you're doing. I want you to be at your very best. Um, I want you to become better. I want you to evolve, and then you can wait for me to come after you. Uh, important to note to mention that uh, Roz is hooked up to a a bunch of 
medical equipment. He doesn't look in any shape where he's running things. Back at Blackgate, we see uh, Rex Calabrese. He gets some paperwork from another inmate talking about some of the how the stuff got into uh, Gotham and lists off some of the different things that the villains have gotten a hold of. Uh, and then at the very end, we see Poison Ivy, what appears to be some sort of plant that has red skulls on it. Next up, all hell. <sighs> couple, I guess... Uh, <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, I guess I will be. Um, okay. So you may have noticed my comment at the very beginning, more artists on this book than you could possibly imagine. I'm not really joking when I say that, because literally in the credits for the book, they have three pencilers and two different colorers on this issue. There's five total artists doing the, the things. They literally broke it down into uh, page count, which I it's been a while since I've seen something like this broken down like this where you have that many artists. I mean, they literally had an artist do two pages in the entire book. I mean, really, what was the need for that? The other two couldn't have done it. The art itself it was a problem just because it does change almost every other page. Um, there's a few sequences that are, you know, at least the same artist, but I, I wasn't a, a big fan of the fact that we had three different artists doing art in this book. I guess the, the, the two things that I want to talk about here, the first one, let's just talk about, uh, Selena Kyle going to her father. Um, she, she's aware of what's going on and she wants to know how the stuff got in. I'm guessing she's looking for the, you know, who's behind getting the stuff in and giving it to these villains. But it, by the end of the issue, when it's, when Rex gets the information, it's just revealed what they got, which I'm not real sure answers the question of that she was looking for, because why did he really need to know what everybody got if the question was who got the stuff in? So I don't really, I really didn't feel like anything was achieved at all between, you know, the pages that they appeared on because by the end it's just setting up that the villains got all this stuff, which why is that relevant since there was only a couple issues ago that we saw them playing with various Batman gadgets and Wayne Tech stuff in that warehouse when Selena was supposedly blown up by Firefly. Do you feel like, again, we're just putting stuff in that doesn't really need to be in, like more filler? Yes. Is the short answer. Yeah, and some of it's just, it's, I don't know, I'm like, like you said, the whole point of this is who's behind it, not what they're doing. Like, I could care less how many plastic doll heads Joker's daughters got. I don't even, doesn't, doesn't really deserve, who cares? I mean, really, who cares? Um, and we knew that they were giving the villains stuff. I think everyone assumed that they were giving them stuff to terrorize the city with. I don't think that anyone thought that they were getting presents or, you know, anything like that. So, I don't know. Again, it just feels like we're drawing it out to draw it out. Um, as this has been the feel of eternal for about a month now. So yeah, it just, it feels drawn out. And I just want to co-sign in your thing about the art. Like this is madness. You know, all these different people. I just don't, I mean, I would think that it would be, if, if you wanted to have three artists on a book, it would be, it would be difficult to do. Right. I mean, why would you want to do something that's intentionally difficult? So I think it's also drawn out because we have multiple characters trying to investigate this mystery at different angles. So they're almost at cross purposes. And I feel like if everyone were to work together, the book would perhaps be streamlined a little bit better. But because we have these different storylines, it's very much like Gotham. I'm sorry that this is the second time I'm referencing that show. But sometimes there are so many different 
storylines going on that it, it just, some of them are not progressing quickly and, you know, there, there seems to be no purpose to having one particular storyline in a TV show. And I feel like Selena here, uh, trying to figure out, you know, where the stuff came from. I think, you know, her other purpose is to figure out, you know, why she was targeted, of course. So really it all goes back to who is this big bad guy. Batman's also looking for, you know, who this big bad guy is. Of course, he's in the wrong lane as well. We're going in the wrong direction. Wrong and continent. then, yeah. And then I think Stephanie Brown, but I guess that's in the, the next issue. She's also talking about it. So we have three people that are, I feel like need to be in the same direction, but they certainly are not. I, I don't know if there was just people wanting to bring back, um, you know, Leo again and show him and have an interaction with, with the daughter, but he's really not done anything, I think, to physically harm her. So it, it's just like another dysfunctional family meeting more than anything. So it was a waste of time, but if they're delaying to, to the big picture. I mean, this isn't the first time that there's been a delay of something. So it seems like, Hey, we said we're going to get to 52 issues. We need to do it. I think perhaps they, they need to think ahead and maybe have less issues in order to, to get to the point a little more quickly. Yeah. Cause honestly, it just, it just comes across as we've, we've got a specific count. Like, and I'm sure they're going to reveal something. At some point in these next couple issues, that we're, you know, that we're, I would hope so. I swear, I, re- I, I really hope that at some point in the next five issues that we have, you know, after this episode, there's five more issues left. You know, we're going to talk 47 in a minute, but there's only five more. Mm-hmm. So th- they got to do something here. And the thing is, right now, it just feels like for the last 10 issues, we've just been treading water, waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's just... What I was saying earlier when we were talking about, you know, when we were talking about Batman, it just does not feel like he's even thinking clearly. You know, the fact that he's automatically associating Roz with this and Mm -hmm. he's convinced that it has to be Roz, even though it doesn't even make a difference whether it is or isn't, he's not really solving the problem by going after Roz. There's a huge problem in the, in the actual city that he's supposed to be protecting and he's just he just keeps going to search for these other people that he thinks it could be. We saw it with Riddler. We saw it with Roz. I mean, like, what is, why do we keep seeing this over and over again? We're just, it's, it's like he's on a wild goose chase because he can't figure it out because he's not Batman. He's not the world's greatest detective. He's, he's an idiot who just goes off on one clue. So that's that. The other thing I want to talk about, which when I, when I was talking about earlier with the continuity, there's a comment that gets made in this issue where when he's talking to Roz, he's, Roz specifically says to him, After our last encounter, it took me weeks to crawl out of the depths of the frozen ravine. All that kept me moving, pulling myself across jagged ice and rock, was the knowledge that someday I would kill you, detective. Okay? He says that. Now, if you're trying to remember to yourself, when could that have possibly take him place? Oh, yeah, I know. Well, it took place in Batman and Robin number 32, which... This is probably the one reference we've ever gotten to Batman and Robin, the series in general. Mm-hmm. Other than when, when he, well, well, that didn't even happen in Batman and Robin. That happened in Batman Incorporated. But that's the only reference we have. You know, there's a point in the book where, where, uh, Bruce sees an illusion of Damien as Batman, you know, the Batman 666 version. Mm-hmm. 
And he says Damien, and he kind of, like, grasps at it like he longs for it. But again, when the heck is this taking place? Why are we even referencing the fact that Roz and Batman had some sort of conflict in another series if the other series doesn't connect at all to this? Like, clearly the the feud between Roz and Batman where they, Batman was trying to get the sarcophaguses of Talia and Damien away from Roz in Batman 32, or Batman and Robin number 32, that clearly happened a while ago. The fact that Somehow we're supposed to assume that the events of that took place and everything that's happening here in Batman Eternal, but yet we still haven't seen Damien in the book, doesn't make any sense. What I'm about to say I don't think is actually going to happen. The only way this would make sense is if at the end of Batman and Robin next month, Damien dies again. Isn't that the only way? It is the only way. It is the only way. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but that's the only way that this makes any sense whatsoever. Damien dies or he's shot off to whatever apocalypse or something terrible happens to him. Because if not, this doesn't make any sense. If Damien, if he's had this conversation with Ra- with Raish and Damien's alive, he's not going to be longing for his dead son and not to mention his help in a situation like this would be greatly appreciated. It's just, it's the only, the only way this works is if Damien dies. I mean, this just doesn't work. Like you said, it just, there isn't any way. So now it would be Batman and Robin, Robin reborn. Robin Rises, whatever it's called, and then Batman Eternal, and then Endgame. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. So, unless, like, there, like, there literally is that tank moment you talked about earlier, like, next month in Batman and Robin, you know, Robin dies. Because if that doesn't happen, this doesn't make any sense. Now, if next month we find out that Robin is lost in the wilderness or sent out into space, dead or, or gone, then this will still work. But unless that happens, this just doesn't. Right. The, I mean, like, sense. okay, yeah. I will say this. There is another way of doing it without just killing Robin. You could have Robin and Batman get into a huge fight. Robin just goes off on his own and is not dealing with it. And that explains why the series ends and the new series is just focusing on him. That's the way they could do it, too. I don't know how they're going to get to that point with only one issue, but... Yeah, what that's kind of the fight other, they get? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, there's just no real explanation for this. I mean, I just don't understand why they didn't make, like, there was a couple different points in these two issues of Eternal this month that I was, or this this episode, that I was sitting here thinking to myself, this would be the point where you put an editor's note saying this happened in X book. Now, that would, now, I'm not saying you should have done that for this comment, because I had to go back and actually figure out which issue it was to make sure that that's what they were talking about, and it was. that There is no other book that... Roz and Batman have interacted that leaves Roz in some sort of ice cavern for X amount of time except that one issue. The thing is, I'm fine with that. I would have been, I would have thought that it would have been so much better if either one, they didn't even include Roz El Ghul in the story because obviously he didn't serve a purpose at all Mm -hmm. other than just to fill one up, one, one issue. So either not have him in, in, in the series at all and then just then you don't need to worry about these dumb comments referencing something that's happening in another book that doesn't follow the same continuity. Or the other option is you do it, but you have to figure out some way of incorporating other aspects or just not mentioning it at all. Like do exactly what they did, but leave out that one little brief word bubble where he says, the last time we met, blah, 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 blah. Leave that out. You don't even reference it because... 
they've they've met each other plenty of times. You just make it into, you know, he's I mean, you could go as far back as, you know, during Batman Incorporated and, you know, he was incapacitated because of Talia having him locked up in that tower uh or castle or whatever it was. He, she had him locked up because she didn't want him interfering with the stuff. You you don't even have to say what it is. The fact that you're just putting Ra's al Ghul in here and you're supposed to, you're already making everyone believe, well, you know who this character is. We're not going to really delve that much into the character. You know who this is because you've been reading him in other books or you know him from other variations of the comics that aren't New 52. We're just going to put him in there, say that he's, that he's incapacitated and just leave it at that. That would have been the best way to do it. Not make a reference to something that you have clearly not been associating with for 46 issues. Isn't this whole thing, though, and then I'll get down because I want to hear hear what Stella has to say about it. Isn't this whole thing just stunt casting in a way, though? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. it's, like there's he serves I mean, no purpose in this book. Batman flies across the world only to be told that he's a moron and he flies back. Right. I mean, like, it's just stunt casting. Let's put him on a cover. The continuity cock up, I think, is a byproduct of someone not th- just someone not thinking this through. It's just it's goofy. May I ask what the original question was? Well, it really wasn't <laughs> an original question. It's okay. just more of a comment about the fact of why are we associating the you know Roz to the storyline in Batman and Robin if Damien is nowhere to be seen. I don't know if I have a smart answer for that. I I, I think that that was a an editorial slip. Um, it would, I mean, it makes sense in terms of Snyder not wanting to ever really touch Damien, but now I feel like you do have to have a reason for, as you are saying, a reason for him not being present at all. And as you were talking and thinking of reasons why he wouldn't be, you know, in these pages and, you know, death was one and running off, I suddenly became aware in our, you know, in our talk that, you know, Batman and Robin is ending next month. And where has Talia, where has that storyline yep. been? Because that is certainly an open and dangling plot, subplot, uh, that I feel like is pretty important. So if in fact, you know, he is getting his own book there and if he goes off, uh, I think that's certainly potent that he could go and find her, though that would go against what had happened in Batman and Robin where he was standing over her grave and saying, you know, you tried to get rid of me, but I'm the one that lived and you died and everything. So why would he, of course, search for his mother? And no one knows that she's alive. But I feel like there is something there. Uh, I think, I mean, honestly, they, they shouldn't have done it. Uh, I, I do think that there were probably better better encounters uh, or history moments that they could have pulled together. But I guess they wanted this dramatic, uh, almost game-esque moment where he's fighting these underlings there and then Roz is or Raish is, is in the in the bed. And it almost reminded me of, I, I feel like in the Marvel Universe, I read it, you know, at one point where almost... Uh, where Red Skull was in a similar situation and talking to Arnim Zola, though I could be mixing up storylines there, but 
how strange that he's incapacitated and talking through a television screen, and then all of a sudden he gets up and he's he's walking fine. I thought that was super bizarre. But I think it's just, you know, let's throw in this big name. You know, Raish has not been at all in these pages, so we need to fit him in somehow. But honestly, yeah, it it, it doesn't make sense. Um, but I feel like... The only excuse is that the editor may have been slightly lax on this and didn't think it through. And there were so many artists that perhaps there were just too many uh, chiefs and not enough Indians. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we knew going into Batman Eternal that there was going to be a plethora of characters that they were going to showcase. The problem is that at this point in the story, this is not the time, you know, less than one month, well, a little bit more than one month before the end of the story is not the time to be bringing in new characters and introducing them, even if it is only for one issue. It just is not the right time. That's what you do earlier in the story. If they're not serving a purpose, that's when you do it. Not at the end of the story when everybody's wanting to get to the end. Not, here's another issue with another villain that we're not actually saying. I'm just waiting for, now that Poison Ivy has been, you know, she popped up in this issue, I'm just waiting for the inevitable issue of, like, issue 50. All, all of a sudden, there's a story about Poison Ivy and her greenhouse because we have to wrap that up now because we needed to start another story. Well, Poison Ivy's the big bad. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> How upset would you be on scale from 1 to 10 if she were the mastermind behind it all? 13. I'd be pretty mad. I mean, like, I can't see her being the one behind everything. And honestly, they've eliminated everybody. At this point, it has to be. I mean, I'm, I've, I've read stuff online. There's nobody who's thinking it's not Lincoln March at this point. So if it's not Lincoln March. But they haven't even hinted at him yet. You know what I'm saying? No, I know. That's the thing. Oh, I did read, uh, there was, there was, uh, the review of, I can't remember if it was this issue or the next issue that Ryan did on the website. He kind of made some predictions as to what he thinks. And he also agrees that it's probably Lincoln March, but another person he brings up that it could be, which would be completely out of left field, is Owlman from Earth 3. Mm. Because after the end of Forever Evil, Owlman just kind of like disappeared into obscurity, and he also happens to look just like Bruce Wayne, and he is not really, he, ha he hasn't really been featured, even though there are some other characters that were uh, showcased out of Forever Evil's part of the crime syndicate that have appeared in other books. Owlman hasn't, but they did leave some things open-ended with him. So I thought that was a unique possibility. I mean, that would be completely out of left field, in my opinion, because I'm not sure that anybody who is just a Batman fan is going to you know, if Owlman ends up being the person, I don't think anybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, that was a great idea, great villain at the end. Although I don't know that that many people would be saying the same thing about Lincoln March at this point just because of, the, the at this point, the the little amount of buildup we're going to actually get to the characters. So, Yeah, but um, if, you, if you've seen the covers, there is a Penguin one, and then there's a Bane one, and I haven't looked – and then the one past that is like uh, just got all the – Red, it's got Red Hood on the on the cover with Batgirl and, and Red Robin. Yeah, um, the, the spotlights on them. Yeah, I remember seeing that. But it seems like it, we've got at least three more issues of just running through characters. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I at this point, the Lincoln March or Owlman makes as much sense to me as anything else does. Uh, but I just, I don't know why. I just think it's going to be something that we're not 
anybody's going to predict. All right. So Batman Eternal 46, I'm giving this two out of five. Man, I don't, I'm not trying to be an ass. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to agree with you, two, two out of five. I'm going to give it a 2.5 out of five. And I will say this, okay. It was a combination of not just the fact that we saw multiple variations of art on all kinds of different pages, and it wasn't like somebody drew a specific section of the book and then somebody drew a different section of the book. It was literally they had three different artists write three different storylines because that's the way the book was broken up. I just will never get over when art is done like that in general, but also just the fact that literally Roz served no purpose at all to move the storyline. I just want to clarify why my reading so low. Uh, Ryan on the website gave it 4 out of 5. Um, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 46 a total of 2.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our last book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 47, script by Tim Seeley, art by Juan Freira. Uh, the issue starts off with, uh, Hush talking, or kind of contemplating as to what Alfred could possibly be dreaming about as we see him glancing at Alfred. Uh, Alfred ends up, uh, waking up, screaming Julia, and Hush tells him, well, she actually left, she had something to take care of. Uh, we see her putting on a mask and going to visit whoever put on the, uh, or who put, turned on the bat signal. When she gets there, it turns out it's Selena Kyle. She says, I need to talk. She presents the information to her about the fact that, uh, the, you know, who supplied the, the stuff, not who supplied it, but the fact that the stuff was supplied through the harbor. Um, then we see Batman flying back on the Batwing. He calls to Penny too, but she's not there. Alfred is there and he says, it's not Roz. You gotta figure out who it is. Um, then all of a sudden Julia pops back. And says, Alfred, get out of my chair, go back to bed. Um, then we see Bruce still flying back when we cut to the villains who are all over Gotham City. We see Scarecrow, and he is about to launch his drone attacks with the Fear Tox when he's taken down by Batwing. We see Clayface, who is uh, playing Batman um, against an actor that he kidnapped. Um, they're trying to film a movie with Batman and Joker. Clayface is playing the role of Batman when Tim Drake comes out and takes out Clayface. We see Harper Rowe take out uh, Mr. Freeze. So Joker, uh, so Batgirl pulls up to a funhouse where her father was taken after uh, she was shot in the killing joke and Joker's daughter's held up here. We then see that Red Hood is uh, walking into a bar, kind of a place that uh, he, he would normally be at anyway. Uh, when he sees that uh, there's something, there's a bunch of luchadores that show up who are supposedly six of the greatest luchadores in the world, and they're here to take on one person. Uh, he is the man in the machine, Bane, I guess Bane Robot, I guess is... Robo-Bane. Yeah, <laughs> Robo-Bane, that's a better way, I like that. Um, meanwhile, at the Batcave, the, the uh, power goes out, and we see Hush kind of snickering about it because... Um, he knows something's about to happen. Um, in the Narrows, Cullen, uh, is talking to Stephanie and she said, and he says to her, you know, I should have, uh, you know, you, you really shouldn't use any of, you shouldn't use the computer. I should never let you really out of the, uh, the taser jail that my sister set up for you, but I felt bad. 
And uh, Stephanie says, well, we need somebody more powerful than a superhero. We need to contact Vicki Vale. Uh, we then cut to uh, the Batcave where we see Alfred is tied up in the chair. Hush is not in his containment cell anymore. And for whatever reason, Julia Pennyworth is in some sort of escape pod. How she got in it, don't know. Seemed like uh, Hush maybe put her there. Um, we then see that uh, sh- the escape pod comes out at Gotham River. Uh, when she is, she comes out of the, when she, I guess, gets to the top of the river, she sees that Gotham is up in flames. Uh, then we see Hush put a bag over, uh, Alfred's head. Somebody else is in the back cave with Hush, uh, in the shadows, and he says, uh, th- there's a, an emergency override that he initiates and in turn blows up the Batwing. Next up, City on Fire. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is the art I really enjoyed in this issue. Mm-hmm. I thought there was a, a, some really, really good panels that they did. The the very first page where they have kind of the cutout of uh, Arkham Manor slash Wayne Manor. It's a section. And then the, yeah, the Batcave. That, I love, I love art and things like that, that that really kind of show that. And then they did it again later on. Well, I guess I should bring up the second the next set of pages where we see the splash page of the buildings performing or actually t- being the the place where the panels are located that was kind of cool and then there was another section later on of the batwing as batman's flying it uh all kind of cool i i really enjoyed this uh it was kind of interesting that we went from the last issue of three artists and two colorers to this issue having one artist and the same colorer he he did the not only the pencils but also the coloring for his art. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Props to Juan Ferreira for doing this. I I mean like there's some things that he did that I'm not a huge fan on. Uh Selena Kyle looked a little bit too Asian to me. Um and there were some other small little things here and there, but realistically, this was a heck of a lot better than having three different artists doing the art for one book. Uh so props to him. Um as far as the I guess the actual things to talk about in this issue. Um, again, we kind of I guess in some ways we're seeing the wrap up of these villains having these these tech this technology stuff. We see the the various members of the Bat family taking down the villains one by one. In some ways, it's it's nice to see the the Bat family being utilized. At a completely other point, it seems kind of pointless because this was again. A very, very small storyline with these villains that has been focused on on very, very small page count that, again, we have an entire issue wrapping uh, wrapping something up that when you probably, it probably took up less pages than we actually saw it, it take place in this issue. So, kind of frustrating, but again, it was, it was so, some, some nice little scenes that we get to see with the Bat family members dealing with various different situations and kind of the the villains that they're kind of paired with. Not that I felt like there was any real rhyme or reason between them getting paired up other than Joker's daughter and Batgirl. But uh, in some ways, just a showcase for some cool art. Uh, probably out of the, the bunch, I, I like the fact that of all the things Clayface could do, he really just took the bat suit so that he could play Batman. I thought that was kind of funny. I, I, one thing I, really, I, I like Ethan Van Skyver's cover too, by the way. It was really well done. It's great that we go down from about six artists to one. 
which is great. And I too like the, the section cut. I always think that's fun. Uh, it would have been great to, to utilize. Sometimes some books, uh, they cut through a building and then you see the characters progress as they move through the building. But I guess really you can't do that since Arkham Manor stuff is going on above and then you've got what's going on below. But it is very cool to see that. And, uh, I also liked the, I guess it was the second, yeah, the second page, which was a, t- a two page spread, just with the, the background. I like the background, which, and then you're also doing another section cut of the building, but inserting, uh, different panels and everything. So it was, yeah, it was really creative and, and well done. Uh, yep. So here we've, we've got these villains and, and what they're doing. And it's funny because if you're not paying attention, it almost seems like this is what's going to happen in Batman 40 with, you know, the different villains doing their own thing. But, uh, yeah, it's great to see the Bat family actually together. Uh, to a certain extent working together and I've, I, you know, we've seen this before, but it always warms my heart to see just the team working together. And I, yeah, the Batgirl one, I don't know. I, you know, I don't like that story. So it's, it's hard to, to see that reference, but I'm glad that it did give her pause and, and she was ready to, uh, to, to move on to a certain, or, you know, at least get the job done and, and fight against Joker's daughter. I wish almost that Barbara would be like us readers and be like, well, Joker's daughter is not even anywhere near, you know, the, the, uh, the danger level of Joker. So I'm just going to go in there, but it was really the atmosphere. I think that was making her nervous and not necessarily the, uh, the actual person. But I think for all of them, it was just great with how much confidence the heroes have going against these people. So it just seems like another day in the life. Right. And that's pretty much all I have for this issue. I mean, the the majority of it, I mean, they're slowly building up again, but I think, the hugest highlight from this issue was the art. I love the art. Um, and I, and I mean, again, outside of some small little things here and there, this was a big improvement of the last issue, which is odd because it was written by the same person. Tim Seeley wrote 47 and 46. So I don't know how we go from having one issue that is, I mean, in my opinion, not good at all to an issue that, you know, has a completely different tone other than just crediting it to the art. So props to Juan Ferrero. All right, so 40, 47, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Uh, three out of five. Question, do you think Jason Todd can actually take down Bane? I don't think he's actually there to take down Bane. Okay, he was there to, okay. I just wondered once I saw him coming out. Well, there's probably well, going to be some sort of fight. Because, well, Bane's supposed to, Bane, Robo Bane is going to be fighting the sixth greatest luchadores. Yeah. I guess Bane got his technology, which was a Robo, Robo Bat suit, and he decides that his best way of dismantling Gotham as they were all instructed to when they were given this stuff is to go fight luchadores in a cage. <laughs> And how, I, don't you think it's also demeaning of Bane, I mean, to give him this suit? I mean, you're basically saying that he's not capable on his own as a fighter. I feel like he's already lethal. Why does he need a suit? But, uh, I actually, I liked this issue and I'm going to give it a four out of five. All right. And over on the website, Ryan gave it three and a half. So that's going to give Bamini tool number 47 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. All right. So. With that, that is all of our reviews. Let's ho- head over to the websites and cover some of the reviews we have on the website. 
Uh, Batman the Jiro Kawada Bat Manga, Chapter 33, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it 4 out of 5. Batman Superman, Number 19, reviewed by, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it 4 out of 5. Batman 66, Chapter 54, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 3.5 out of 5. Batgirl, Number 39, reviewed by Don. He gave it 4 out of 5. Red Hood and the Outlaws, Number 39, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it 4 out of 5. Batwoman, number 39, reviewed by Jim. He gave it 3.5 out of 5. Justice League, number 39, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 3 out of 5. Teen Titans, number 7, reviewed by Jim. He gave it 4 out of 5. Batman the Jirakawada Bat Manga, chapter 34, reviewed by Joseph. He gave it 4 out of 5. Batman Arkham Knight, chapter 1, reviewed by Patrick. He gave it 3 out of 5. And Arkham Manor, number 5, reviewed by Patrick. He gave it... 3 out of 5, Catwoman number 39, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it 3.5 out of 5. Gotham Academy number 5, reviewed by Patrick, he gave it 4 out of 5. Secret Origins number 10, specifically Backgrown Poison Ivy Stories, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it 4 out of 5. New 52, Futures End number 40 through 43, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it 3 out of 5. And Earth 2, World's End number 18 through 21, reviewed by Joshua. And he gave it 3 out of 5. Also, there is a new TBU Elseworlds focus, focusing on Batman, the Blue, the Gray, and the Bats, done by Eric. Check that out on the website. All right, so that is all the reviews we have on the website. Also, uh, so this episode we would normally be doing DCU Spotlight. So what we're going to do going forward is... I love the fact that we've been getting tons of listener Q&As, so we're going to adjust as as we're always adjusting. We're going to start doing listener Q&As every single episode, so it's even more important for you to make sure you to leave your listener feedback on the website for the episode as you listen to it rather than waiting because basically from the time the episode posts, you have roughly about a week and a couple days before we record the next episode. So it's imperative for you to post your listener Q&As. Before we get into listener Q&As for this episode, I'm going to talk about the, the new thing we're going to do instead of Spotlight is um, we're going to run through the books that also came out. Um, we're going to also do this every episode, um, but uh, since we haven't done it for February, I'm just going to run through all of the books for for the month of February. Now, all of these books had were part of the Batman universe or featured Batman Universe characters in them that are part of the normal New 52 imprint, not the digital stuff. So the books that we have are Archimander number 5, Batgirl 39, Batman Superman number 19, Batwoman number 39, Catwoman number 39, Deathstroke number 5, Earth 2 number 31, Earth 2 World's End number 18 through 21, Gotham Academy number 5, Gotham by Midnight number 4, Grayson number 7, Harley Quinn's Valentine's Day Special number 1, Justice League 39, New Suicide Squad number 7, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 39, Secret Origins 10, Secret 6 number 2, Teen Titans number 7, New 52, Futures End number 40 through 43, Wonder Woman number 39, and World's Finest number 31. Keep in mind that, uh, obviously, come March, a lot of these books are either ending or going in a completely different direction come, uh, come June, but, uh, what we're going to do now is just kind of talk about some of the biggest highlights out of these books, and we'll do this going forward every episode for the last couple of weeks' worth of issues. That way we can cover the main points. So one of the biggest things that happened in the books that I saw a lot of talk about online was uh, in the pages of Catwoman number 39, towards the very end of the issue, Catwoman kisses the, or I should say Selena Kyle, kisses the current Catwoman, uh, Iko Asuaga, 
I'm probably saying that wrong, but that's how I read it when I read it in my mind. Um, she kisses her, and uh, initially it was it was kind of left ambiguous in my opinion the way it was written. It was kind of like she was kissing the Catwoman suit. Is she kissing the the idea of Catwoman? Is she kissing the actual girl? So what what exactly is it? Well, despite how you could read it, it didn't matter because it turned out that you. Uh, the writer of the series, Genevieve Valentine, went online on her own website and said that, in fact, Selena did kiss her because she was a girl, because Selena is, in fact, bisexual. Now, honestly, this is not really that big of a surprise in my mind. I mean, like, yeah, she's obviously got a thing for Batman, but I would not put it across her to have a thing for, you know, females as well. So I don't really have a problem with it. I saw some people kind of upset about it online. I don't really think it's that big of a deal one way or the other. I think Selena just, she's a very flirty person to begin <laughs> with. The fact that she's walking around with a shirt that's pretty much exposing half her chest, at, you know, all the time. I really don't think she cares, you know, whether it's, you know, a guy or a girl. I, I don't really think that's ever really been in my mind that it's really that big of a deal that it always has to be guys. So I'm okay with it. Thoughts from you guys. I, uh, I, I kind of agree with you, Dustin. She's one of the most over-sexualized characters in, in the Batman universe, right? And the fact that she is bisexual doesn't really surprise me at all, to be totally honest with you. Um, and in fact, if, I remember if in, in like Gotham City Sirens and stuff like that, there would be some semi-flirtatious moments with her and like Ivy and Harley and stuff like that. So this doesn't really surprise me. Um, I guess we've never had it like set in stone like it is now, but I'm for, for Catwoman as a character, I'm totally okay with it. It was an interesting twist when I was reading this, uh, just because she's never been, I think, on the other side of the suit. And I think for her, I, I liked how they put, you know, was that for me or was that for the suit? Because you had seen her have an interaction with, um, the woman underneath the suit earlier. Uh, asking her if she was okay, and and that seemed like a very cold meeting. So it, I, I feel like it's you know when I read it, I thought, wait, what what just happened? But also just because I mean, I, I think she's got this attraction towards Batman in the suit. She never really, you know, there may have been some flirtation with Bruce Wayne, but it was always the Batman suit and identity. And I feel like being on the outside of that now, she's she's seeing this. So I think it's just her fetish with suits for whatever reason. But, you know, if that's, you know, if they want to go with the bisexual angle, that is certainly fine. Um, she said at the very end, you know, I'm hopefully we'll be able to find out whether it's you or the suit. So it'll be an interesting story. Uh, to read, especially since I, I feel like Batwoman's sort of tanked. So she may be our, our leading, uh, character there to, uh, to experience that with. Alright. And then the other book to kind of bring up, in my opinion, out of all of the books, the only other one that I thought was anything that, that brought up something worthwhile was, um, a book that most of the time is under the radar, um, Secret Origins, number 10. They've had some decent stories, and don't get me wrong, I think it's kind of interesting. Like, they're, the, this is also one of the series that's being canceled as of, as of, uh, March. Realistically, there, there's almost hardly ever an issue that doesn't go by where there's at least one member of the Bat family featured in the book. And normally that character also happens to be on the cover because, uh, well, that helps sell the book. Um, but the book doesn't really have great sales numbers, but they do tell some interesting stories. And 
there, there was a story that was done by Peter Tomasi for Damien. It was a great story. I mean, honestly, it, it does a really good job of setting up everything. Um, now the pro, the, the other advantage of Secret Origins is that some of the stories have actually retconned some of the stuff that has actually happened within the New 52. Um, they've, they've corrected certain things that they didn't believe needed to be there anymore and for certain characters. So that's kind of the advantage of Secret Origins as well. Um, but specifically related to Secret Origins number 10, uh, Barbara Gordon is featured and there's a couple different little things to, to bring up. Now, if you read Batgirl number 39 at the end of the book, it says read Secret Origins number 10 to, you know, for the continuation of the story. Now, I did see online the creators did say you don't have to read Secret Origins to really, you know, keep going with the current Batgirl story. It just is one of those things where it adds to it. And, you know, it's obviously relevant because it's a lot of the same creators who are doing the main Batgirl series. So and when when that happens, you kind of have to tune in just to see what is going to happen. Um, Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher were both the, the writers for the uh the stories the art is 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 not Babs Tar, but it's it's different. But the main thing is there's there's a couple different things that happen in this issue. Obviously they talk about the fact of when the the event that we saw in uh or the Batgirl zero year tie in, there's a couple other things that kinda hint at, you know, when she got shot by the Joker. But one of the things that I found to be the most important out of all of these was the fact that they kind of talk more about the, how she was able to walk, how she went from being in a wheelchair to being able to walk. Um, they specifically bring up the fact that uh, she has um, a neural implant that helped her be able to walk again. They actually show a couple different things about uh, the fact that when she got the surgery, she was considered the miracle girl by the press and, uh, they, she was on some talk shows about the fact, uh, the fact that she was cured after an experimental surgery. There's a lot of different kind of hints at what actually happened. Um, now, if you go back to, well, I mean, crap, it's been almost a year. You go back a year when I interviewed Gail Simone at C2E2 last year and I kind of said, when are we going to find out how Batgirl, how Barbara was able to walk again? And she said, what? We already did that. <laughs> and she was, of course, referencing the one panel reference that she made in Batgirl number five. And it was kind of like, well, I had a surgery and that's how I can walk. And that's it. This huge moment of her life tossed aside in one panel and that's it. We were all ticked off about that. The fact that it really wasn't explained. They do a much better job of explaining it here, not you know, to the, you know, to explain the science behind it all, but there's, there's some decent parts where they actually explain how it kind of worked and also kind of tying into what's upcoming in the book, um, in the main series Batgirl. So I'm not going to give it away completely other than, you know, I suggest that if you're reading Batgirl, you strongly pick up, I strongly suggest that you pick up Secret Origins 10 to read this story because there's, there's some, interesting points that are brought up in this story that could carry that I'm sure will carry into the main Batgirl series specifically dealing with the algorithm and something that we've been seeing where a lot of the villains that she has been encountering since the I guess the Batgirl reboot last October are are in some ways mere versions of herself so 
definitely check that out. Uh, did you guys feel like they did a decent job of explaining it more than, you know, Gail Simone did? Well, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt they did a better job at explaining it than Gail Simone did. I mean, any basic explanation would have been a better job than Gail Simone did. Um, but I think that this one is, it's fine. I mean, it, like you said, I mean, I'm sure they were limited by page count, you know, because Secret Origins is, is several origins in one, one book, but I think it's fine. I, I think it's critical enough to the character that what we see presented here will probably get included in the, in the next Batgirl trade, I would imagine. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's fine. It's limited. It's short. It's to the point and it's, it's actually quite, quite good. It needed to be told. And, and I felt, I feel like it's been so long that, you know, we've forgotten about it. And I was almost resigned to the fact that, you know, we weren't going to get any explanation. So it's actually a very nice gift to have something actually explained because the only thing we really got was that there was some procedure and it happened in Africa. And uh, it was great that they kept the tie to that, the Africa and just a lot of technology going along with it. So I feel like there is certainly some, some love being thrown to, to Oracle in a certain way, just with, you know, everything that's included in this particular origin still have a problem with her being a ballerina, but you know, what can I do about that? It's, no one listens to me about that. So, yes. <laughs> but I would read this probably after 39 because I read it, but I haven't read 39. So I'm a little thrown off, but generally I know what's going on. If the ballerina was the biggest mistake they made with Barbara Gordon in New 52, we could all sleep better at night. Wouldn't that be sure. lovely? Yeah. I mean, we really could be like, yeah, that's kind of yeah. sucks. It's no big deal. With that, that is going to be our spotlight for this episode. As I said, next episode we'll also do the spotlight. We'll just cover the next two weeks' worth of comics and bring up some of the finer points that were brought up. So with that, we're going to jump into our listener Q&As. Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. We have just one. Uh, from Michael, he says, Hello, Dustin, Ed, and Stella. Congratulations on another great, thought-provoking podcast. First of all, just a few notes on my comments read on Podcast 154. Yes, the comments about Stella's vocabulary were jokes, like calling the big guy tiny, and Stella knows I'm a big fan as I frequently write to her excellent Batgirl Oracle podcast. While Dr. Drecker's fourth-wall-breaking comment to Batman 38 gave me a pause, it by no means ruined the story for me. It just took me out of the story a bit to ponder if it was just... Me, that saw that. In fact, one of my favorite aspects of Snyder's writing is that he throws in some genuinely funny lines into his stories, which is good since it breaks up the darkness a bit. So if he goes for a bit Ferris Bueller, that's perfectly okay. And yes, that is a very dated reference from an old guy. Thank you, Dustin, for explaining why Sam Keith's artwork was in the backup for Batman number 38. I'm glad there was a reason, and I'm glad it will not be a regular occurrence. Suffice to say that Sam Keith, to me, is Kelly Jones to you. And thank you for confirming that there is an actual wall of continuity, which brings me to my main point today, continuity. While I realize that DC, especially going forward, will be eschewing continuity in favor of storytelling, do you think that it will frustrate and erode the reader base in the long run? I grew up reading Batman comics in the 70s and watching reruns of the 66 TV show, realizing even as a kid that these were distinct universes, even though I didn't think of them in, think of it in those exact terms. But the comics were a longer continuity unto themselves. Then Crisis on Infinite Earths occurred, which changed a lot of things, but also kept more of the core characteristics and qualities of the characters. And that was the norm for almost 20 years until Infinite Crisis. 
the continuity for about two years, and then Final Crisis, which was the last major continuity until The New 52 in 2011. And we all know how much of a shake-up The New 52 continuity is. My point is that we are seeing a huge decrease in the amount of time between reboots and of the universe. Basically from almost 50 years to 20 to 2 to 3 to 3 again. As much as I dislike a lot of the changes in the New 52, I am still a fan. But I won't invest as much in a new series and get as emotionally invested in the characters as much as before because they all seem to matter less. Since I am always expecting the next reboot to change everything I might like in the current continuity. There may be a lot of new readers whose first exposure to DC is the New 52, but could feel that the rug is being pulled out from underneath them when the universe gets rebooted again and stop caring enough to give up on DC Comics or comics altogether. And while it looks like Convergence won't be the big change this time, I'm always waiting to see when the next a big event will be announced and they'll scrap it all and start over again. I just think that... A more stable continuity with the occasional soft reboots like Batgirl and Catwoman would breed a more loyal and passionate reader base in the long run. It is a lot easier to form an emotional attachment to a character that is consistent for a longer period than two years, two or three years at a time. And that attachment will be stronger, which would seem to lead to a better likelihood that the reader would invest more in peripheral titles and merchandise involving their favorite characters. Sorry to go on for so long, but I just feel like the constant short-term reboots are eroding the value of established characters. And I wonder if you agree or disagree fully or partially. Thanks again for the great podcast. Well, Michael, I'll say this. That was a really long, what? long thing could, to, could, to, to read. Could you, but, could you re- re- repeat that real fast? I think I missed yeah, it. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> no repeats. No repeats. <laughs> I will say this. I, I agree with you what you're saying. You know, the, the fact that, uh, although I won't, I will not consider, I don't consider Final Crisis a real reboot, like you, you mentioned, but most of everything you said, I, I, I completely agree with. You know, the thing is, it does, rebooting characters every couple years, it does erode the value of the characters, and you are losing fan base, regardless of whether you're gaining new fans. You know, you eventually will, the more you do it, the more fans you will lose. Like, the New 52 was great. They got higher sales, but realistically, here we are a couple years after the New 52, and some of the books have resorted right back to the same exact sales numbers they had pre-New 52. So did they really gain that much? I mean, Batman is selling a lot more, but that's probably more attributed to the fact that they have, a, you know, a really good creative team on the book cr- creating stuff that people are really enjoying but outside of that, most of the books, all the peripheral books, are back to the almost the exact same sale numbers that they were before the New 52. So does it really warrant a reboot every once in a while? Especially like, and you know, perfect example, Batgirl and Catwoman. Did you, would they really need to do a full reboot like they were talking about and renumber those books like was initially discussed? Would they actually need to do that? You know, the idea behind it is it's a new number one. People can easily jump on. Great. But how many people are really jumping on to those new number ones and then are sticking around to really make it that big of a deal? There used to be a time where obviously numbering was a big deal, like having, you know, five, six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred issues of a series was an achievement. Nowadays, a number, new number one is the new achievement. There's a lot of different things that have changed over, you know, the past 50 to 20 to 2 to 3, like you said, when it comes to these reboots. But the mindset nowadays is that they're always looking for the next group of fans. 
And the thing is, instead of just creating a series that, you know, can get new fans to come in and read it, they just tend to do a lot of the same stuff. And I'm not saying this in specifics to anything because they have done a better job. You know, some of the stuff that they've announced for June, the fact that we have had complete shakeups of books like Catwoman, like Batgirl, the, you know, new books like Arkham or uh, like Gotham Academy, you know, that is there, there is some light at the end of the tunnel in, in that regard. But at the same time, when you are looking at it from the perspective of a business thing, it is a business and they are trying to create money I don't think anybody can honestly look at the at, at, at comics, regardless of whether it's DC or Marvel, and say the publishing side of the business is the future of the business. We are here to increase our sales, make more money than what we're doing now, because it's just not. I don't really see it as a, as a likely future for them. That being said, they're always going to have some sort of marketing scheme, whether it be putting out variant covers, whether it be renumbering stuff. It's always going to happen. The important thing is how it translates to the story. That's the thing. They could put out a, a gazillion variant covers. They could renumber a book every year. I could care less if the story warrants whatever they're doing. If they're going to, you know, turn Batman into, you know, a maxi series where every year it's only going to be 12 issues, do it. I don't care. What does it really matter? They don't, they've already d- diminished the idea of, you know, Batman having 600 plus issues and, and uh detective comics having 800 plus issues they they've diminished that there's no reason behind it anymore because there's no real meaning behind it so why even bother going up to 50 issues 100 issues why does it matter they know for a fact that it's that number ones are going to sell better than anything else so that realistically does it really make a difference no but what's important is telling a good story if you're going to have Snyder tell 12 issue stories and then you know, call it something completely else. Like instead of having, you just have Batman Endgame number one through six, and then it's just a mini series, or you have Batman Court of Owls number one through eleven, and just have it as a maxi series. Do it. Why does it matter? They don't really care about the actual names of the comics because there's no real meaning behind it, other than those are just ones that they used to have. They're not numbered the same, so what does it matter? And I kind of going off completely off track here with what I was trying to get across. Other than the story is what's important. Produce quality material. That's what will bring the fans in. Cool. Not only quality material, but also a variety of material. The thing is, you can only have, like, everybody who's all about Batman being dark and grimy is only going to have so much money to spend on comics. You're not going to get any them to spend any more money on comics because you're producing five more of the same exact thing. The only way to, to, to actually do something different is to expand your line that you have into having more of a variety. And that's what they did with the Batman stuff when they did, when they changed Catwoman to be more of a crime drama. They changed Batgirl and they have, uh, Gotham Academy. Those are different variations of what is already there instead of what we saw pre, you know, October of 2014 where everything was dark and grim. That's what's important. Do you think you if know- there's, Lack of continuity, we won't have crossovers anymore? Or are they just going to force crossovers on us? And then we'll complain about, hey, there's no continuity. Why are there these tie-ins here? I'm going to say this, okay? I think out of all of the crossovers that they've done, the one that they probably regret doing the most was the Gothitopia one. That was so dumb. Mostly because it didn't really help any of the other books out. I mean, the whole point of crossovers most of the time is to get some of the books that don't have the high sales numbers 
to get them to have better sales numbers, regardless of how many times Scott Snyder wants to spout, well, we just, we asked all the writers who wanted to be involved, and these are who wanted to be involved, so they're going to be involved. You know, he could say that until his face turns blue. It doesn't, I'm sure that there's somebody at DC who's saying, we need to get these books into this crossover so that their sales numbers get up so we can try to make this book successful. It's bound to be the truth. I'm sorry. I just have a hard time believing. I'm sure there's there are some writers who are sitting there saying, yeah, I want to be a part of it, and they're put into it. Those are probably the books that already have decent sales numbers, but I'm sure there's books that are put into it because they have crappy sales numbers, and DC's like, listen, you want to stay on the book? Do a crossover. But Gothitopia is one of those books where it didn't make any sense for it, that crossover to even happen. That could have easily just been told as a single story in Detective Comics. And, but anything that's, I think, honestly, going forward, the only time we're probably going to see crossovers is when Snyder does it, because that really will help the sales of all of those books. I think we'll see him when Snyder does it, and I think we'll see him when Jeff Johns does his big forever evil dark side war type, you know what I'm saying? Um, But I think that's it. Now, you hit on something here that I have been a proponent of in comics forever, by the way, Dustin, which is just stop numbering monthly comics. Nobody cares, like you said, and just publish stories. Like you said, call it Batman Court of Owls, Green Lantern, Lost Army, whatever you want to do, right? And that way, when you're a writer, you can just pitch a story, and if it's approved, they tell you how many issues you get and tell your story, you know? I think that would let you constantly introduce new characters and new concepts. Like, okay, so we'll do a, we could do a Blue Beetle six issue miniseries, and then that guy can do a Black Canary one, doesn't matter. Um, I think it would give them way more flexibility. I don't know if they'll do it, probably not going to do it. Uh, but I wish there would. The other thing you talked about was like the sales numbers on Batman and, and fans. And here's the reality. This is, I, this, I'm going to draw a sports comparison, which I know I seem to be doing a lot on comic book podcasts. But it's like people are talking about, well, how can my team be successful? Small market baseball teams. No one goes and sees them. They don't make any money. But you know what? When they're good, people go. I think it's the same thing with comics. They can do all the schemes they want and all the crossovers. But here's the reality. Batman is probably the best consistently written book. So a lot of people buy it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. produce good content and people will buy it. Put a good team on the field. People will go see a play. And if you make good comics, people will go buy them. And I know that sounds like a cop out, but I think that's, that's, that's the reality of the situation. Um, and the only other thing I got for, uh, the, the, our poster's original comment is really the only saving grace I'll say for DC. And, and everyone knows that I just think continuity is dead. I just, I do. I think they'll rewrite it when they feel like it. I don't think there's anything we can do about it. I'm not saying I like it. I'm saying I think this is the reality of the world we live in. But I will say this. Every time DC does a big continuity reboot, at least they give us a story reason. You know what I'm saying? Like, for the new 52, we had Flashpoint, right? We had a reason. I mean, you can draw lines to it, but there's a reason why continuity had such a big shift. There's a reason why the stories changed. You know, everyone knows about Crisis on Infinite Earths and and Final Crisis. So at least when they do a big, giant reboot, they at least give us a plausible reason why the continuity changed, which I know that sounds like I'm being nitpicky, but I really prefer that over just we restarted it and there's no reason why. I, I'm not as much of a continuity person, I think, as, uh, as Dustin is, but I do think that there needs to be something that ties these books together. I, I just feel like if something's happening in one book, it should have repercussions in other books. And it's going to be very hard for me to, especially if it's the same character, you should be, you know, trying to keep track of what this particular character is doing. So to think that, you know, that's going to be gone and I'm just going to have to 
really separate myself and say, well, this is one little patch of whatever Batman's doing, and this is another one that's not at all affected by what's going on, is hard. However, I do think that it's going to help readership in the end because some readers aren't, you know, as tense as we three on the, on the Batman universe and, and, and others, you know, uh, around the, the interwebs and they just want a good Batman story and don't want to be bogged down with editor's notes that said, Hey, this happened in 2002 in Batman number. So I, I feel like it's going to help a lot of new readers, um, uh, and, and maybe readers that are teenagers as in, you know, they start with the new 52 and now they're, they're growing that, uh, for us, I think it's just a change that we're going to have to deal with. But I, you know, I, I feel like stories are still going to be the same quality as they have been. It won't necessarily impact them. There just won't be a tie between, uh, one book and the other. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is when it comes to continuity, I agree. I actually agree with Ed, you know, continuity really is dead. They really don't care. I mean, like, when you try to wrap your head around how they connect some of this stuff, it doesn't work. And the biggest problem is when we review some of these books, the biggest problems that we end up discussing for more than just a couple minutes is the stuff that is continuity stuff. You know, the wise Roz making a comment about what happened in Batman and Robin if we're not seeing the repercussions from Batman and Robin in Batman Eternal. The thing is, when it comes to continuity... I, I love it. I love the, the idea of like reading as all of these bat books and having them all part of one universe. I like that idea because it, you know, the more books you read, the, you get, you get the little pieces here and there of each part of the universe. And I love that. But the problem is that since the new 52 started, there really isn't a whole lot of that connection, you know, and I guess the problem is I'm still stuck in the nineties for no man's land where it all connected. And it connected in almost a perfect, perfect way. And the reality of it is, it's just not like that. It hasn't been like that since that storyline. You know, in the perfect world, everything would, would gel perfectly. But the problem is, in order for that to work, you need writers who are wanting to have all of the stuff intertwined with it, with it. And I just don't see that. I mean, even when we see the crossovers, the crossovers don't always make the most sense when they do crossovers. So. Well, I think too that, and this is the last thing I'll say on the matter. I am okay with shifts in continuity, big events like Flashpoint and Infinite Crisis. Where I get really upset or perturbed is when you're in, like, I, I get why stuff contradicts pre-New 52 and, and you can always just put the Flashpoint excuse up there as a story narrative. But I get really frustrated inside the New 52 when things don't make sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, agree. you're only dealing with three years of stories, give or take. Like, you can, you should, I get 75 years, stuff's gonna overlap, period. Right? It's gonna happen. Nothing you can do about it. But when you're only dealing with three years worth of stories, that's what really frustrates me. Because there's no reason you can't make three years worth of stories all make sense. Alright, so with that, thank you, Michael, for leaving your really, really long comments. Oh my gosh. Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was good, nonetheless. I'm not- It was well thought out, and we appreciate it. Yes, it was. She's clearly, she's clearly trying to make well with the, the listeners. Oh my all right. gosh! <laughs> Alright, so with that, that is all of our listener Q&As. As I said, be sure we're gonna start doing this every single episode, so be sure to leave your listener Q&As on the next episode, or for this episode, and we'll talk about them on the next episode. With that, that is all we have for you for this time. Be sure to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the editorials 
be sure to leave those uh all the check out those reviews you know we don't review all of the books that come out as part of the batman universe here but we are almost nearly covering every single book that's part of the batman universe on the website so not only take a look at some of those reviews and get an idea of what other books you might want to pick up, but also leave comments on those reviews. If you've read the issue and you agree or you disagree, leave those those comments for the guys who are reviewing those books. It makes their day, I'm sure, because it makes my day when I see a comment pop up for the podcast. So leave, leave comments for that. Um, again, I'm just going to throw it out there. We're still looking for news reviewer or news reporters. So if you are interested in reporting news related to specifically merchandise or TV or uh, movies, comics, general Batman news, if you're interested in reporting news in general, get a hold of us, click on the banner that says we want you for TVU, and we will get you set up on the website. Outside of that, be sure to check out our Facebook page, our, our group page for discussions about all the stuff originating from the Batman universe. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Dustin's <laughs> shoe-shopping friend, Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Yeah.